Banyana coach Des Ellis was used to breaking barriers as a footballer and achieved great success as a player, even amidst trying circumstances. In part two of our podcast with Des, our Bruce Nadden discusses with her the highly eventful journey from retiring as a player to coach of the national team. A journey that went from many moments of heartbreak and uncertainty to victory as she guided the team to numerous trophies and eventually the Women's African Cup of Nations. It's an emotional interview as we learn lessons from Des's life on achieving great success despite hardship and uncertainty and most importantly understanding where God is in all the trials. She also shares how she defines real success as a coach. It's AJ here from Sports Chaplaincy South Africa asking you as the Women's Soccer World Cup commences not to miss this interview and to keep supporting this podcast by liking and sharing on your socials. We're on all major podcast platforms and just a search away. The Call Up Podcast, where faith meets sport and life. The Call Up Podcast, where faith meets sport and life. This is brought to you by Sports Chaplaincy South Africa. So, the headstrong girl from Haderveld, who played a football on the streets of Salt River, who refused to do ballet, really, didn't like wearing dresses, but loved playing football with the boys on the streets, climbing over the fence into the boys' playground at school, wrecks her toughies while she's playing on the streets, much to the annoyance of her father, who ends up making her play barefoot, ends up having this really illustrious, pioneering football career. Uh, in the amateur era. Um, and as we said in part one, eventually time catches up with you. Uh, your career comes to the end, having played for the national t- team 32 times, winning Kasafa in its inaugural tournament. But it comes to an end. And like everyone, you have to ask that question, what next? And that journey eventually leads you to, to begin coaching. How did that journey begin Tell us a little bit more about that. Um, while I was playing, obviously, um, you know, um, I had got injured at the national team and friends sent me back to Cape Town. And the then, then technical director of Safa Oskrito was, was hosting an introductory course in Cape Town. Um, if I say introductory, it takes you way back um, at UWC. And I went and done my introductory course. And, and you know, that was it. Um, I started then coaching when I stopped playing, um, immediate transition into club coaching. I didn't only coach at the club. Um, I was a junior convener for under-15 girls football for South Western Province at the time, um, you know, looking after the under-15 league. Um, I also was the head coach of the under-15 Nike Premier Cup. They had the first time for girls um, at the time when I was coming towards the end of my career. Um, I was also involved as the PRO for SAFA Western Province. I was also the vice chairperson of Western Province. I was also the secretary, at, besides being the coach at the club now. Um, so, I, you know, that's what we do when we work in community yeah. because after all, clubs are communities. So we were doing all of you those. You wear more than one hat. <laughs> was definitely. We were doing all of those things. And and um, for me, it was just a simple transition. Um you know, we say that there's other fields that people can go into. And the, 
best players don't always make the best coaches, but I think you've got to have the passion for it. You've got to have the drive for it because it's not just about blowing a whistle. And the transition for me was much easier than I thought, especially at club level. Um, you know, and having someone like Shalene there at the time, um, sharing the same ideas, having the same passion, thinking the same way, you know, most of the time, I think that really helped the transition go better. Um, and then it was my next chapter of now, instead of coaching while I'm playing on the field, I'm now coaching players. It was difficult at first because um, uh, some of the players were obviously not as talented, but there was potential. And um, in the beginning, I think you almost wanted to recreate yourself in players. Um, I soon realized that that's not going to work. You know, I've got to be a little bit more patient um, to make sure that I get the best out of, uh, out of out of the players that I could. And it was difficult at first, um, you know, because when I played, um, we had a lot of really good senior players. And I was dealing with a lot less senior players and it was more teaching than anything else. And I think eventually I got the hang of it, <laughs> you know, being able to to be patient, understanding what coaching is all about, mm -hmm. um, because it's not just about blowing that whistle. Um, I used to visit parents' homes just to find out, you know, um, what the situation was. Um, I think it was important for me to know where they come from, um, because if I wanted the best out of the player, I needed to understand and giving the information to the parent, saying these are training times, because we know kids, they'll come and they'll say we're training on that day, and the parent would then call and find out if that's happening. So I had that interaction always from from the word go. I would have that interaction and make sure if the player needed something, I would find a way, you know, if I needed to ask someone whether it was a pair of soccer boots or anything else, I would make a way because I was fortunate that I had the support, but I know some don't, mm -hmm. you know. I would sometimes take my pair of boots and hand it over to someone when I see real potential in, a, in an individual because I, I'm thinking that that could be a stumbling block in that individual not getting where they want to be. Um, and my passion really grew from there because I felt that I could change someone's life here. Um, for me, it was more than coaching. For me, it was more than the game. And... I won't say it's a regret. I never won the league ever as a coach. <laughs> but there were players that made youth national teams. And for me, that was what success was about. Yes, you want to win trophies. You want to win medals. But when that child gets that opportunity, you know that you've done work. You're mm. on the right track. You've changed someone's life. And I think for me, that was a lot more important. I'm, I mean, I'm hearing so much there that remember your players are people first. Yes. And if you don't know the person, yeah. it's very difficult to coach them. But secondly, actually, there's victory beyond competition. Mm -hmm. Victory or success isn't just the trophy cabinet. It's not just the medals. It's actually the lives that have been touched and changed for the better. You know, that actually is what it means to love God and to love others. Yeah, because medals are there. I mean, I, I would say we don't do things for that, though. Um, it's an award or reward. If the team does well... It's players or coaches that get awarded or rewarded, but we don't work by ourselves. You know, we work in a space where we work with other people. So, you know, and uh, I say it all the time that credit needs to be given to everyone. Mm. You know, um, 
And for me, it's all about the bigger picture here. It's never about Desiree. If the team doesn't do well, unfortunately, Desiree's on the red mat. <clears throat> and that's obviously the way it's supposed to be. Um, but for me, it's all about everyone. Yeah. Um, more than anything. And that's spilled into over into your professional career. I know that. But your big breakthrough actually comes when the Dutch coach Vera is appointed as the national team coach. And as you said, you've not won anything with, with <laughs> as, a, as, a, as an LFA coach. You've not won anything at, at, at that level. And yet you end up getting appointed assistant coach for the national team. Um, how did that come about? Well, um, you know, we were a group of coaches, uh, I think about seven or eight of us, and we, we had a meeting with her and um, she wanted to know, you know, um, what our qualifications were and what our strengths were. And if we were appointed, could we take up full-time, et cetera. And I was working for SABC at the moment at, as well. And we had a training session. And the next day, um, uh, that, that same evening, um, I had to go do a game and came back the next day and she asked me to stay behind and she said uh, she can hear that I understand the game and asked me what qualification I had and I said I had a B license and a CAF B license and she said she needed someone more experienced. But anyway, we continued training and then while I was doing a match, um, I remember it was a CAF match and Supersport were playing. I got a text from her uh, that she wanted to speak to me and I said, when off time happens, I'll give you a call and then she said she wanted me to be her assistant coach for the first game against, I think it was uh, Ghana. And um, uh, I'm like, okay. And I go back and I have this huge smile on my face. And I remember Brian Moffaking asking me, like, what's happening? And uh, I said, no, Coach Vera asked me to be her assistant coach for her first match. And and she sa- and I say, and he say, wow, well done, you know. And... Um, I eventually stay an assistant, um, you know, and um, I think if I was a player and she was my coach, I would have been a better player. Mm. She she was that good. I, I think we all just go into the field and we all just play, but she was so meticulous in everything that she did. So I was going to ask you, I mean, you, you spend, you work with her for a number of years mm-hmm. and she, she clearly was somebody who came with the intention of empowering local coaches and a local coach, particularly you, as it turned out, you know, what, what there were obviously many highlights, mm-hmm. not least of which mm-hmm. were Olympic qualification, but what do you think you learned from her? I think she also cared a lot about the players. Um, you know, she would always make her way. Um, uh, but she was very meticulous, you know. You know, when you're standing at that, at that uh, defending a corner, there's a reason why players stand in certain positions. I mean, I needed to get, you know, the heights of the headers. And we would try to match them up. That's how meticulous she was. Um, when we would be training, she'd say, that player must come out or that. And I would ask why. And she would say, because, you know, they're tired. They're not giving, they're not giving the, the, the level that they should. So we take them out or, or et cetera. And I would look and I would wonder. And then I started looking closely as well, you know, trying to pick up that trait of looking closer. And, and then I understood a little bit more of 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 how she works, um, 
Um, she brought a, a different aspect of conditioning. You know, we used to run around field. She brought a different aspect of conditioning. We only trained for an hour and a half, nothing more, and only trained once a day. And there was the quality of what yes. you do in that session. Yes, only trained once a day, but a uh, planning. Mm. She left nothing to chance, mm. absolutely nothing to chance. Yeah. Um, she so planning, up, preparation, she built up good structures, you know, put good foundations down. Uh, I remember when we went to the Olympic Games, she had almost 100 games on three opponents. Wow. And one day used to, we, we went camp from the beginning of the year until we went to Olympics and one weekend we had off and Shalene and I were wondering where we were going to and um, she said we can come to her place and all we did was watch football that weekend. Mm. From playing against the weakest opponent to playing against the best opponent. That's how meticulous she was. Mm. Amazing. And you feel you've taken that, those lessons into your own coaching, clearly. No, most definitely. She, she brought for the first time, we used to do analysis, we used to write, do a drawing on a paper, etc. She brought in the, you know, the video, um, analysis um we call it now performance analysis and brought Shalene along and became one of the best in that and you know she brought that in and that was really a different type of tool but it was a type of tool that we needed to players to get used to because we would call out players in certain situations and for many it was you know I'm picking on you and we would make players understand that it's to make not you better but everyone else better and that was a challenge um, especially for players that were not used to it. Um, you know, now everybody does it. But back in the day, that's one of the things she also brought brought in. Um, you know, we never knew of that back then. So she's a huge part of your story. Um, she gave you a lot. You learn a lot from her, but then she leaves in 2016, mm. you know, had Olympic qualification. Um, and you're put in charge as an interim coach. And I remember meeting you probably in 2017, going, well, what's going on? And you, you still didn't know. You were still no. interim coach. There were a lot of doubters out there. Isn't it amazing how we look down on, you know, on, on our own? Um, you know, a lot of people questioning you, your ability, whether you, you know, you had the ability to coach at, at at that level, people are saying you're tactically naive. I remember all of those criticisms. And you're interim coach, I think, for for well over a year. And then you go to Kasafa um, in 2017. And they often say that big there are there are small moments mm -hmm. that can change a game, uh, that become big moments. Um, but actually, there were some big moments at this Kasafa tournament that are almost miraculous. Oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah. and have probably changed the trajectory of your life and your career as a coach. Let's go back to Kasafa 2017. Tell us the story. So, yeah, so we get ready to go to Kasafa, um, and it's the first one since 2011, I mean 2017, Zimbabwe, and we go there and um, we do well in our first game and we get to the last group match and... We dominate the match and almost right at the end, we make a mistake and Botswana score. And if we don't equalize, we're out of the tournament. And we make a change and we score. And now we're going to the next round. Um, we play um, Zambia in the semi-final, And somehow 
we don't play well in the first half. Everything that we spoke about, you know, picking up and not diving in, um, you know, we do all of those things and we go 2-0 down. We didn't play well at all. And we couldn't put our finger on what was going on. And I wanted to bring a midfielder on and I'm standing outside and the assistant coach comes to me, Tina Sonke, and she says, Coach, are you not going inside? I said, just, just give me give me a moment, you know. This is a different team talk. This is not going to be about tactics. And I go inside and I say, um, we let this player warm up, by the way. And I say to, to the players, look, we spoke about two things and we didn't do that well. But we can still win this game. And they all look at me because we really didn't play well. And I say to them, if, you be, if any of you believe that you can't win it, you need to tell me now because I need to put then someone on that can win it. I said, our sponsors just renewed. If you don't want to do it for them, you know, for yourselves, do it for them. Remember the people at home, depending on you, the sacrifices that everybody's made. And I go and we go out and we change we change the formation that we don't bring the player on. We go three up front because now we need to score goals. And um, they get a third. <laughs> Great they, motivational talk they, at half time. Yeah. And you go three nil now. They get a third and then they get a penalty. Ouch! And they miss the penalty, and I turn to the assistant coach and I said, "Are we going to win this?" So how long's to go when they miss the penalty? Uh, it was 50-odd minutes. Okay. And by 75 minutes, we were still 3-0 down. So it's 15 minutes to go, 3-0 down, semi-final. And, You're only the interim coach. And we call it, I call it divine intervention because we just couldn't get going. And then all of a sudden, this team just starts playing like we know they can. We get one goal. We get a penalty. Leandra puts the penalty away. And we get a third one all in nine minutes. Wow. And we're just saying, calm down, calm down now. Now we need to calm them down, you know, because it can just turn the other way. And now we're going into a penalty shootout and we're standing there and we're asking which one, which one. And um, You changed keeper, didn't you? Yes, we did. We changed Andile because we felt she was a better person, goalkeeper to save penalties than Roxanne. And... Um, they missed one of the penalties. She didn't save it, but just with the antics, they missed the one. And we're standing there, and Lebo puts the last one in, and she goes down on her knees, and she raises her hands to the air. And I go down, and I sit like this. And Chalene runs from the top because she's filming, and she comes down. And we're standing there hugging each other. Joe, you know I've seen that image of you yes. on your knees yes. praying, yes. giving thanks to yes. God. We really need to get hold of that and, for our uh, call-up prayer book next edition. And Shalene and I are hugging each other and players are on their knees and crying and doing all kinds of things. And we still have a final to play, mm. you know. And I think the whole mentality shifted. We've always said you don't know how good you are. We've always said that you know, we can win trophies. We've always said that through that you can change lives. And I think from that moment on, there was a lot more belief. Mm. Um, a lot more belief in the, whole, in the whole group, in the whole team. And maybe, maybe that's a corporate thing, but I want to suggest maybe belief in you. It's, it's hard to filter out those external voices when the media and other people are saying, but, but she hasn't got what it takes as coach. That, that can seep into your environment. 
you know, and and I do wonder. You you almost talk about you know, it, it, it's almost like divine intervention. It is. It's like nine mm. minutes that that changed the trajectory yeah. of your career. Most definitely, you know. But some of the players came out boldly and said that they felt I would be a good coach for the mm. team because I'd been part of the setup, but I still needed to show my worth and my value. Yeah. And that never wavered, no matter what people said. Because God qualifies us first before Amen. we even get qualification at the at the at the causes. God Amen. qualifies us first, and I knew my worth and my value. Yeah, and I took it not to prove anything to anyone, but I took it because I knew I could make a difference. Yeah, you know, and I think that changed everything more than anything. Because in that time, I'd also applied for the full time job with two other coaches. Mm. And nothing had transpired, um, you know. And people kept asking when and why. And I said, look, all I'm doing is doing the best that I can. If it's me that takes over the team, I know where we're going. If it's not me, the team's in a good shape. Acting doesn't mean you have to act. You have to do what you need to do. And eventually the call came. (laughs) And... People won't be able to see you as the way I can see you right now, mm. but it, it was clearly a, an emotional time for you. You know, there was actually a painful time. Yes. Even though you were seeking yes. to be the best that you could be and to serve well, it was actually a time where, where it would have been so easy to doubt, mm-hmm. so easy to drop your standards, not tr- stay true to your values of service. Yeah, uh, as a coach, and you didn't do that, and I think that enables us to have real perspective on where I'd like us to go now. And obviously, a lot happens after that. But let's jump to twenty twenty two. South Africa has lost five previous Wafcon finals. Um, never beats Nigeria in the big moments, or rarely does. But that story is about to change. Um, just tell us about WAFCON 2022, the game against Nigeria and then the final against Morocco. In actual fact, Bruce, we beat Nigeria in 2018 in the first match but lost the final. Yeah. And went to Nigeria in 2021 at the Aisha Bahari Cup and beat them 4-2. Um, and I think that also showed the true quality. Now we get to the WAFCON didn't have the preparation we wanted. Last played in April, the tournament's now in July. But we had this fantastic group of players that had a lot of belief, not just in themselves, but in the whole group. And we had meetings prior, you know, and um, saying that they want to win this, etc., etc. And now we get to the first game. And we knew that first game was going to be very important because we didn't know how fit we were because we'd been training. So we didn't know how match fit we were. And... I remember it was Jermaine's first game back since 2019 because due to visa problems, we couldn't get her, you know, got embassies involved, couldn't, they couldn't help us either. And the players were absolutely outstanding, um, you know, and I think that set the tone for the rest of the tournament. Then we needed to manage in between. Um, the next game we won, we didn't play well, but I remember playing 2018 and we were the best team and we didn't win. Mm-hmm. Um, then we play Botswana and Tembi picks up an injury and I think the whole country was in shock (laughs) 
because Temi picks up an injury. But we had chosen those players because we had absolute faith in them. We had absolute faith in their abilities. And we chose a squad um, for every eventuality. And I remember being very somber with the group. And Tembi puts this amazing message in the group and says, you know, these are not things that we plan. And, and she said that we still have this dream and this vision of qualifying and me getting injured is, is part of everything, you know. Uh, she never questioned anything. And she said, I know that we're going to come through this. This is my message. We still have this plan. And, and she was there when we qualified for the World Cup. And I said to her, if it's the last thing we try and do, is we'll make sure that you get an opportunity to play at the World Cup. Mm-hmm. And Tim, be the person that she is, almost takes care of the younger girls because she was very young when she came into the national team and tries to lead them to the right path and, you know, be the role model that she needs them to be. And and she's there and we, we qualify for the World Cup and we celebrate like crazy. And the next day, and our next match is the semi-final. And we win that one with a penalty, sh- sh- penalty of done by VAR, but we also get a penalty prior that's taken away from us. By, and now we're in the final, and you cannot win the final if you don't get to the final. And and it's great, you've qualified for, you know, you've qualified for the World Cup, which is obviously the first target. Yeah. You know, you've beaten the nemesis yeah. again, Nigeria. Yeah. Um, but you want to win this thing. You never won it. <laughs> uh, but there's a, there's, there's, there's a huge wall in front of you, and it's the fact that you're playing Morocco in Morocco. And their game's being invested in now, isn't it? I mean, they're investing in their women's game and there's a huge crowd. There's not many people there supporting (laughs) South Africa. So everything's loaded against you. Yes, everything is. And uh, uh, a former employee, Daryl Kutris, reminded me of 2015 when we went to Equatorial Guinea um, and we needed to win to go to the Olympic Games. And he reminded me when we came out that day, we just saw a sea of red and Jermaine scored and... You know, um, it was very quiet and he reminded me of that. And I still looked at the history. I went onto the internet and looked at the history of the times that we played in the final when Nigeria was not there. We lost both and it was both away for a moment. I said, Lord, this is not going to happen today. This is not going to happen today. And the players came into the meeting room when the president was there, Dr. Jordan, and they came in with this Jude Box, and I remember the song that was playing. It was so it was called My Mother's Prayer. Um, and I almost didn't want to do a team talk because I could see that they were so focused. We could look on the, you know, we could look on Insta and all of that, how packed the stadium was already. And we knew that the stadium was going to be packed out. We also got a call from our president, uh, Cyril Ramaphosa, you know, to wish us well. And he asked the players if we were bringing the trophy and they were confident and mm-hmm. said yes. You know, and uh, like we normally do in the dressing room, we huddle together and say the Our Father and then the players go onto the pitch, um, you know, and uh, then it's their job to do. And I remember saying to them, you won't hear us today. Mm-hmm. So you've got to help each other on the pitch. And as we walk out for, for the pitch inspection, our players are not walking out, they are dancing and singing. <laughs> And people are giving up the thumbs up and the thumbs down. And we eventually, you know, get on to the, for the warm-up. And I remember the one journalist coming to me, Usher, and she said to me, okay. And I said, no, I'm good. 
It's not up to them. It's not in my hands anymore. We've done our job. It's not up to them. And um, we take the field and all these lasers and smoke bombs are going off. And we played really well because we'd planned this. When we knew we were playing Morocco, we decided this is how we're going to play because we needed to stop certain of the players from playing. And we dominate everything. But we don't get that goal in the first half. And then we get the two goals. Um, but we try to stay calm and then we make a mistake and they score and then the nine minutes go up. <laughs> nine minutes. I think I think that final will be known, known for nine minutes. And I kept turning to Coach Tina and I kept saying, Coach T, how many minutes? She said, eight, Coach. A minute later, Coach T, how many minutes? Seven, until it went down. Every minute added a year to and, your life. Until it went down. And, and then the final whistle went. Yeah. And we were... I can remember failure. I don't know what, why she did it. She ran and then she took off a bib and then she ran onto the field and she prayed like most of us did, um, you know, and um, it was just so emotional for everyone um, because it wasn't just our victory. Um, you know, we placed our faith in God. It was God's victory first and then for everyone else at home because we know Many have tried. Um, I remember Mandla Dlamini telling me this is personal, and I understood. Mm. It was for coaches that have come before, for players that yeah. have come before, for coaches that coach in the league. It was for, you know, everybody involved in women's football. It was bigger than us. It was bigger than us because we could see, you know, um, on social media, during load shedding, we could see these little phones in the darkness or these laptops mm. in the darkness. People using up their day third because they it, wanted to see the game. It meant so much to people back home. And when we got to our tumble, we realised the magnitude of what we did. Mm. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I'm getting emotional. Mm -hmm. um, you know, from the dark days of apartheid. Yeah. Uh, from the streets of Salt River. For those... Hard yards, um, doing jobs you didn't really want to do because of the love of the game. Mm -hmm. Those years serving as a coach and wearing other hats as well at yeah. amateur level. And you've finally done something that no South African women's team has ever done. You've broken the glass, glass ceiling, which you've been doing all your footballing mm -hmm. life. And now you're off to New Zealand, Australia for the World Cup. And it's going to be tough, right? Yeah. Um, there's going to be a lot of expectation here, and that needs managing. You're playing Sweden, ranked third in the world. Yes. Playing Argentina, I think ranked 28th. And yeah. I had a look, I think Italy are 16th. They they've go. got their own professional yeah. league. Yes, they do. Well backed. Yeah. You know, so you're coming up against mm -hmm. some powerhouses of, yeah. of women's football. You know, there's expectation here at home that maybe needs tempering a bit. But let's face <laughs> it, you've got your own dreams. You've got your own hopes, not just as a coach, but as a group. What are they? Most definitely, we could have been in a tougher group. Yeah. Even though our group is tough, we could have had uh, Brazil and France, two top 10 teams. We yeah. could have had Netherlands and US, two top 10 yeah. teams. We could have had Japan and Spain. Yeah. So for us, it's a reasonable group, even though it's still tough. Um, I think we've grown as a group. The players are much more matured. Um, four years down the line, they've gotten better. Not that other teams haven't. But um, we believe a lot in what we do. We trust the processes, what we do. Um, sometimes you don't get the results, but we trust the processes. 
And because we're bidding for 2027 as well, we have to do well at the World Cup. Um, obviously get a good result in the first game and then sets a tone for the rest of the tournament. And I think the first game is our biggest one. It's against Sweden. Yeah. An opponent who we've played quite a couple of times, have the same coach still. And like any other team that goes to a tournament, have ambitions. And now we're not just going as Banyana, we're going as the African champions. And yeah. I think that expectation uh, is even higher. There's responsibility that yeah. comes with that. Yeah. Uh, I remember doing the trophy tour and everybody coming and saying, please bring the trophy home. That's how big the expectations are. But we have to be realistic yeah. as well. You know, um, we sort of set ourselves a target of trying to get out of the group stages. I think that will be huge for us. You know, going to our second World Cup. Many have gone to many World Cups, haven't even won a game. But we are so confident in the group of players that we had and the belief that we have in the group of players, um, you know, that we feel it's possible. And uh, we put our faith in, in God. I, I think everybody goes to the tournament and there are a lot of other teams as well, you know, but if you're not ready, then God can't help you. Mm. We do what we can. Yeah. God does like like our, like our goalkeeper our goalkeeper always says Antili, we do our best and we leave the rest up to God. Absolutely. Absolutely, which brings me to the next question mm -hmm. really. What role does your faith play in your life but but also in 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 how it impacts your life as a coach? Look, there are moments when when things are not so fantastic. Um, and you cannot speak to friends. We turn to God, having a conversation. What a friend we have in Jesus. Having a, just having a conversation and, and, and you almost, from deep within, get the answer. Mm. Always. And I think when we do our schedules, we always have devotion in our schedules because no one is forced to do devotions, but it's there. It's a space that they can go and come together as a group um, because we know the players that we have. Um, I mean, you've definitely not been shy as a coach for creating space for, for, for your players and staff to be able to connect with God, to meet around his word and pray, that's for sure. Um, and, and that, again, lends itself to my next question, which is, you know, you, you have used the call-up prayer book. You know, how have you used it? <laughs> well, I use it a lot at training. Um, and I've given it to all the players that come in. And um, some have even asked me for extra. And my favorite one, my favorite prayer in the prayer book is the one just before training. And um, I'm always looking for the for the prayer, by the way. It's the last one in the before training. Uh, it says, uh, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. It also says with and I say I speak in the in the plural sense because I'm speaking yeah. as for the group. Uh, we praise you and thank you for the gift of this day, the talent you have given us, and most of all for the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. May the incredible knowledge of these gifts inspire us to make the most of what you have given us, remembering that this day is a gift from you to help us to seize every opportunity to find our joy in it. And to share that joy with others, remembering that our sporting talent is a gift from you to help us to be disciplined and to work hard to develop that talent. But this part is the most important for me, remembering the gift of salvation made possible by the sacrificial love of Jesus on the cross. Help us to serve our teammates 
and coaches by encouraging them and showing them the same grace that you have shown us and may they experience the same hope, joy and victory that we have in you. In all these ways, enable us to honor you and find our joy made complete in you. In the saving name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Wow. So that part is the same for us because I believe and I tell the players that God has given you a talent and here's your opportunity to glorify God. And the way you can glorify God is by giving your best on the field mm-hmm. because you, your, your best has to be for God. Mm-hmm. If you're not giving your best, you're not playing for God mm-hmm. because God opens that door for you to step into. So sometimes we don't use this. Sometimes we pray from the heart. But um, that is my my most famous prayer out of this prayer book. It's wonderful. Des, you got no idea what a privilege this mm-hmm. has been uh, for me to share this time with you, to have this conversation with you. Um, you're a person of action. <laughs> um, actions do speak louder than words. And... As I pastor in the sports world, I often say to coaches that, you know, we are supposed to and are called to follow the servant leadership of Jesus. And by the grace of God, you do that. You're an incredible uh, incredible example. Um, you have a servant heart and uh, know that we'll be praying for you mm-hmm. as you go down under. <laughs> um, but I know that the nation is behind you. And whatever happens there, <laughs> know this, know this. Whatever that happens there, win or lose, good or bad, God knows you, God loves you, and he's called you. We know that, you know, when we do not win, we still say thank you to God for the opportunity because mm. um, we maybe could have and should have won the WEFCON in 2018. We won qualified for the World Cup, and we didn't win the WEFCON. And... Deep in my heart, I knew that God had said to me, giving you both, what would you have celebrated that I gave you? Half celebrated winning, qualifying for World Cup, half celebrated winning WEFCON. And God had said there's a bigger celebration coming, and that bigger celebration was 2022. Because we celebrated with everything we had um, in 2018 when we qualified for the World Cup, but the bigger celebration we sacrificed, uh, actually um, celebrated even more. Um, and if you looked at everything, the, everybody was hugging and praying and having their own little thankful prayer to God mm. for giving us that opportunity and that medal because we knew that that would change lives. It has. <laughs> God bless you. We wish you well. Blessings to you too. The Call Up Podcast where faith meets sport and life. This is brought to you by Sports Chaplaincy South Africa. The Power of His Dream brings you here. LIA Productions.